Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars. I am sad today because unfortunately we are missing my counterpart, Simone, because she had to leave for an emergency. She's totally fine, so nobody worry. But I am very excited because we also have an awesome guest this week. Um, So joining us is Angel, a.k.a. Professor Sex. Um, She is a queer, kinky, polyamorous sex and relationship coach, sex-positive educator, scientist, and activist. Uh, She also has a master's of science in psychological science, uh, was a graduate student and research sexologist at the University of North Florida, and she is currently under supervision by the American Association of Sexuality Educators, Counselors, and Therapists, better known as ASECT, and is in the process of becoming a certified sexuality educator. Uh, She's super positive about sex positive, inclusive, and medically accurate, scientifically informed, pleasure-based sex education. Um, And Angel wanted to make it very clear that she is also um, an uber geek and is a Slytherin. (laughs) Which is probably the most important. Yeah, that's like the most (laughs) important part of your bio. I agree. Yeah, that's how you know who your people are. So how did we find each other? Uh, Instagram, right? Like, yeah, Instagram uh, connects everybody together. I th- I th- yeah, I think it's the glue for our fabric or something. That's a mixed metaphor. But, yeah. but yes. So uh, I think Instagram. you and I were both on our, our friend's podcast, Don't Waste Your Pretty. Yes. Oh, Rebecca's amazing. Yes, with Beck Zaylor, who you can listen to her episode from last week um, where we talked about Harvey Weinstein. Um, and I think that's how we found each other. But we have a bunch of mutual people in the sex community, which I'm super excited about. It's like a real small community once you start sort of getting into it. It's a little, uh, uh, it, it's, it's tight-knit. It's nice to see how, like, I, I start kind of going through people's, like, bios. And like, oh, I know, I know everybody you know. That's so great. We should be friends. So. so you, in your bio, identify as queer. And for listeners out there who maybe don't know what that is or are confused, how do you define queer? Uh, so um, I know some people get really hung up on the word queer because it's got a lot of complicated history. Mm-hmm. Um, I love it because it is so ambiguous. So I like that I can say queer and it tells people, um, okay, so there's something other or different or unusual or unexpected about this person. Unique. But it doesn't, yeah, unique, but it doesn't give them any other information than that. So I get to control the narrative every time I use it, which is great for me. It means bisexual and kinky and polyamorous. So all of those things are a big part of my identity and my sexual orientation. And so queer kind of is like a good elevator pitch for all of those things. So it's kind of just like meaning that you're not on the vanilla or not on the straight and narrow. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, and I know some people use it as like, a like interchangeably with gay and, some people use it as an umbrella term for the LGBTQ community as a whole. And um, uh, I, when I work with students and stuff, we talk a lot about uh, not making assumptions about that word when we hear it and using it as a jumping off point for a conversation rather than like the only information you need about a person. Um, but yeah, for me, it's like I'm not straight and I'm not vanilla and I'm not, I don't fit in the boxes. Mm. So. And for those listening, we are okay if you are if you are vanilla and do fit in the boxes as yes. well. Um, but so you said <laughs> educating. Obviously, what kind of folks are you educating? Is it is it younger folks? Is it people um, older? A whole range. So I I primarily teach adults. Um, my day job I work at the LGBT Resource Center at the University of North Florida. Cool. And I help I help um, I. I'm a program coordinator for a mentor program that we run in there. And then I also help facilitate um, what we call our Speakers Bureau, which is a group of students who are all out members of the queer community on campus. And we go to different classrooms and talk about our experiences and talk about different identity orientations and that kind of thing. Um, so I'm I'm educating college-age students there, but then I also have a private practice where I do um, like one-on-one coaching and education with adults. But yeah. So sex ed for adults, basically. Sex ed for grownups, and it is so necessary. <laughs> what are some of the, I mean, it is really a shame, like, how shitty our sex education overall oh, um, is right? in this culture. I mean, what are some of the main issues maybe you've seen that people are coming with and being like, we have no idea what this is about? Like, 
like, the like everything. Thing I get it. <laughs> Yeah, everything. Like the biggest thing is like every single person that comes to me just wants to know if they're normal and they just want to like tell me their thing and whatever their thing is, I, they're convinced that it's like weird because it's theirs. Mm-hmm. And because we don't give each other, like we're not equipped with good language for talking about sexuality and we're not equipped with good language for sharing sexual fantasy or sexual desire or complications with our sexuality we don't know how to talk about those things with each other because nobody ever talked about them with us. Mm -hmm. And so when we hit adulthood and we start um, realizing that we have a fantasy nobody else has ever told us they have, or we like to do a thing in bed that maybe we think is weird or whatever, um, it, it, it can feel like we're alone. It can feel like we're the only person in the world that likes this thing, or we're the only person in the world this thing is happening to, or we're the only person in the world of a body part that looks like that or whatever it is. And so I think the first thing people want is just like, am I normal? Please, am I normal? And then like the follow-up is they just want like permission to be whatever it is that they are, like whatever they're experiencing, they just want permission to experience it. And so those are kind of the two things that I see the, the, the themes that run throughout uh, most of what I do with folks. That is so true. I mean, what are what are some things that, like, how can we talk to our younger generations about sex? Because, I mean, like you said, oftentimes it's not the parents or the teacher's fault because nobody taught them how to do it and how to talk about it, um, which is such a shame. But, like, what are some ways that maybe some of the parents out there, caregivers listening, can start talking to their kids about sex? Yeah, well, I think um, I think you just start really early. Mm-hmm. Like, I, th- I think just acknowledging and wrecking, we get so terrified to acknowledge that our, that kids have a sexuality at all. Yeah. Like it totally freaks a, people out. Like when they yeah, find their child masturbating. Oh yeah. It's, it's people go like bananas about it because we don't know how to recognize healthy sexuality without sexualizing the, the individual. Like, and those two things are different, right? Like I can have a healthy, holistic life experience that includes my sexuality without being sexualized. And, and so when we talk about the sexuality that children experience, we're not talking about sexualizing those children or like objectifying them. We're just talking about honoring where they're at developmentally. And like sexuality is part of who we are from the moment we're born. Yeah. And there are opportunities to talk about like, like kind of getting away from this model of there being like the talk that you have. Like you don't, you don't have the talk one time. Yeah. You want to have a convert ongoing conversation. Yes. Just like everything else, just like teaching your kids manners and, you know, don't chew with your mouth open and look both ways before you cross the street and do your homework. And all (laughs) this is where you can masturbate. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like we had, we had to have the conversation. Like we don't touch our vulva at the dinner table, like things like that, that you just, (laughs) Recognize, but then, but then where do you, right? So you can, you can shame your kid like, oh, because age appropriate to touch your vulva at the dinner table. It feels good. Like, <laughs> oh, we don't do that here, but maybe in the bathtub or in bed, you could do it there. Like, and then so, when you get older, you can definitely find a dinner party where you can touch exactly. your vulva at the dinner table. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So having like those conversations all the time, just recognizing opportunities and then having them without like not adding the shame component. So when you walk in on your kid doing something that you didn't expect to see them doing, you can go, oh my God, that's so horrible. That's so gross. What are you doing? That's disgusting. And you can freak out or you can just like acknowledge it and say like, okay, get your shoes on. We're heading out the door for dinner. You know, like it's just having like a healthy response to like acknowledging that like their bodies are changing, their bodies feel good. Even like little kids. Mm -hmm. Part of discovering their bodies is discovering their genitals and discovering like what all of their body does. And it's not, not like lusty or uh, sexualized. It's just like, hey, it feels really good when I touch this. That's neat. Okay. Yeah, no, I was I- definitely like exploring and masturbating for many years before I like sexualized it. Like it wasn't until like Justin Timberlake's Dirty Pop video that I was like, oh, I could like <laughs> think about someone and sexualize it before it was just like, if I rub yeah. here for a really long time, it's great feel so good. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. <laughs> you're not connecting. Like, like the feeling isn't, there's no target to the feeling. It's just independent of anything else. Your body feels good. Do you so, remember your first like person or time where you actually like thought about someone in a sexual way? Oh, 
Yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, right. like Titanic oh. or a different time? Oh, like Romeo and Juliet. Oh. Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. So I had, like, I very distinctly remember my first use of the internet. Like, my dad bringing the computer into the house and, like, logging on and getting the internet. Like, I'm old. And, <laughs> so, and like, uh, logging in and downloading, like, searching for pictures of Leonardo DiCaprio. Like, I remember learning that I could do this. And what a um, fun discovery. I know. And then printing them out and like hanging them up in my room. And I had this poster from the Romeo and Juliet movie, like of him in the fish tank, you know, mm-hmm. and his hair's all wet. Yeah. And I had that like above my bed. So it was like the last <laughs> thing that I saw before I went to bed. At night. Were you like one of those people who like kissed the poster before you slept? Well, not though. No, this was like on the ceiling above my bed. This oh, was, like, so you so got to look at him while bed. you masturbate. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So I was like, this is amazing. Over my bed, I used to have the statue of David. Oh, I don't know what that says about me, but I was like, this is a funny (laughs) place to put it. I'm going to put it here. (laughs) I left it there. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) Um, So I think something interesting that you do, and I'm wondering how you fit this into maybe sex education. Um, I know you work with adults now, but like with any kids in your family or that you know or that you have, um, that how do we talk to our kids, if, especially if we are kinky or polyamorous or open? Um, because I think it's one thing to maybe open up this conversation, but a lot of more conservative folks are like, no, you can't, you know, you want to keep this private from your kids and you don't want them to find your, you know, sex chest of toys or like, you know, <laughs> your, your whip or whatever. Like, how do we, is that something we talk to our kids about? And what if we're dating more than one person? Yeah. So, you know, I, I like told you like privately that I had kind of a weird day yesterday and it's just really interesting. Like, like this was coming up for me yesterday. I have children and I'm polyamorous and I'm kinky. And, Mm -hmm. um, so I have some family members that are, that were like expressing concern. Like what if your kids find out you're poly? And, um, I don't like, I'm extremely open. Uh, my kid's dad, we're not together anymore, but he knows I'm like, he knows about my life. I'm Googleable. Like, it's very obvious that I'm like an open kinky poly person. Mm-hmm. And so it's never occurred to me to hide it from my kids. It's been more like it just hadn't that my kids are little. And so it hadn't come up yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but I've, uh, I've always just been really age appropriately open with them. So like, um, when I first started getting into sex education, I was doing those like in home parties, like the toy parties. Uh-huh. Where you could like go into someone's house and you're, it's like a Tupperware party, but it's dildos. Yes. <laughs> and uh, I love those like, parties. Fashion. Yeah. And so I was doing those and I, uh, I was my, my son who is going to be 11 soon. He was like three or like three at the time. My daughter was just born. And, um, I would clean like after a weekend of doing parties, I would go in the kitchen sink, clean all my toys and like lay them out to dry on the kitchen counter. And I did this for like the better part of a year. And then towards the end of that year, my son, like, noticed the toys for the first time. Like mm. he'd hit an age where he was like, Hmm, what is that? And I, and I didn't, and I didn't have a good answer. So I sort of just like, that's for mommy's work. And I sort of started waiting till he had gone to bed to do that. And then it didn't come up again for a long time. And then this, this time last year, no, March of last year, I was planning sex week for UNF. And, um, we were doing these condom lollipops that we were handing out on campus with like the dates for sex week to promote mm-hmm. it. And my daughter says, I really want, she's, she's seven at the time. She says, I really want one of those lollipops. And I said, <laughs> Girl, I me said, too. Yeah, yeah, right. And they're like flavored condoms. So like they're really pretty and shiny and they have like <laughs> fruit on them and stuff. And I was like, I was like, sorry, pumpkin. Like that's not candy. And she's like, uh, she's not buying it. She's like, oh, it looks like candy. And I said, no, no, it's really not. She goes, what is it? I said, well, it's a condom. And she goes, well, what's a condom? And my son just like groans in the other room. He's like, ah. And I said, well, um, do you know what sex is? And she's like, yeah, you know, because I knew she knew, but we're just reframing. And she's like, yeah. And I said, well, sometimes if people want to have sex and they um, don't want to give each other germs or they don't want to make a baby, they can use a condom. And she goes, but you don't eat it, though. And I said, <laughs> I, said, no. I said, no, honey, it's not food. And she's like, fine. She's like, That's all she cared about. And it. And like, that's it. Like, Whereas if you like, wanted to avoid the conversation, you could have just been like, do you want pineapple or like strawberries and cream? Yeah. <laughs> yeah do, you, do you want mint? <laughs> um, <laughs> oh but no, like I was at a conference and Logan Levkoff, Dr. Logan Levkoff, she's um, amazing. Oh, I she, like her a lot. Shout out Logan. She, 
she was speaking. Yeah. Hello. She was speaking at this conference and, um, somebody had asked her the same question. Like, how do you talk to your kids about sex? And she just had like the best advice I've ever heard. And that like, she's got these, the book she recommended at the time was, um, a book, uh, was it, it's perfectly called, normal. It, no, it's the one before that. Oh. It's not the stork. So there's, it's not the stork. And then there's, it's perfectly normal. So it's not the stork is for younger is, uh, like four to eight. Okay. And then it's perfectly normal is the next age group up. But she recommended that like one of those two books. And she said like, get the book and like read it first. So you know what's in it and sort of like leave it out and available to your children and let your children come to you with like questions from it. Like that was like one tactic. And she, and the, the idea was that like your kids will ask you when they're ready to hear the answer, when they're ready to hear the answer, like they'll, they'll attend to the information when they're like, when they notice it as a sign that they're ready to talk about it. And so then it was, okay, your kid asks you a question about sex. Like, how do I answer it? Answer exactly what they ask and don't elaborate. Like, what is that? It's a condom. Okay, what's a condom? Basic answer. So like so, not so overloading I, them with information. Yeah, because really all my daughter cared about was that it wasn't candy food, that right? she could eat. <laughs> yeah. She just, she just wanted to know if she could eat it. Like, and, and Meanwhile, you go ready. into like a 30-minute like tirade about, you know, safer sex. <laughs> she's like, exactly. what? I just wanted the candy. I know. She's traumatized for life. She's worried <laughs> she's got gonorrhea. Like, it's, you know, it's a whole thing. And she's eight. Like, you know, I'm not going to do that. So, so trying to figure out, like, like, kids will tell you what they want to know. The other thing, too, is treat your kids like people. Like, they, they are going to hear this stuff. Like, they all have the internet in their pockets. Mm-hmm. All their friends have the internet in their pockets. Yes. They're going to go to, if you let them out of the house ever, they're interacting with this information. They I hope have that TV. the advice that people take from this is let your, still let your kids out of the house. Yeah, <laughs> right. Don't lock them up. No, like you, your kids are, have been out of the house. They, they've encountered this. So recognizing that like they can handle it. They can handle acknowledging that like they have animal planet, they have whatever they can acknowledge that like sex is a thing. And they can acknowledge that consent is a thing. That's another conversation that kids are really good at is consent conversations. Um, and it's a great opportunity to have uh, like bodily autonomy conversations with them. Like don't make them hug grandma if grandma wants to hug them and they don't want to. Like mm. it's okay to say, no. it's okay to say no to hugs. It's okay to, you know, not hold someone's hand you don't want to or whatever. Like I feel like, like those- that's such a thing that we take for granted. And, and a big one that, I don't know what you think about this one, but a big one that bothers me is when we tell kids to apologize to other kids when it's like, you know, there's this mistake and they had a fight or whatever. It's like, okay, now go apologize. You know, if someone said that to me in real life, like what if you're not in a place where you feel ready to apologize? What if you still need to process it? What if you aren't sorry? Like, yeah, what if I'm not sorry? (laughs) And like getting them to that place on their own and in their own time. And it's, and it's, you can acknowledge like what occurred without having like being forced to say something you don't mean. Like, don't force me to, like you said, don't force me to apologize. Don't, uh, you know, it's one thing to say like, well, what do you think just happened there? How do you feel about it? How do you think your friend feels about it? Like that's one conversation, but like forcing kids to share and forcing kids to apologize, I think like are two ways that we like, that we infringe on their autonomy Mm -hmm. without like really realizing it. Like the forcing to share is another one. Like I have a new toy my toy. I have a friend over and now I have to share this toy. We should teach our, we want to teach our children to share and we want to learn those things. But like when we force them and when we don't give them the right to say no, and when we don't give them the right to set boundaries about their things, what are we teaching them about consent later? And like, so how can you balance teaching them to be good citizens with making them give up their autonomy? Yes. Oh my gosh. That's such a good point. And I feel like it's something we so take for granted like you were saying, like hugging grandma, like, oh, just go give yes. them a kiss, go give them a hug, say hi, wave hello, you know, say thank you. Like, it's like we're yeah. telling them everything. Yeah, well, kids don't get a choice. Kids don't get any choices. I mean, goodness, it's tough. It's tough to be a kid. They just they just do what they're told all the time. And And I think, you know, I don't think it has to be that way. I think it's okay to treat kids like they understand what's going on. And I think it's okay to treat kids like they do get a choice. And you know, if I don't want to hug Aunt Edna, why am I making my daughter do it? You know, Edna. So, is that your aunt that you didn't want to no, hug? I don't know. Like, poor Edna. I don't know. I, I don't know anybody named Edna. <laughs> so. 
So now when you're teaching like college age folks, is there, I mean, I know you said the main thing is like, am I normal? Um, (laughs) But are there questions where you're ever just, I don't want to say surprised. I mean, you know, you want to normalize and whatever, but when people come to you and are like asking these things and you're like, how did nobody ever tell you this? Uh, sometimes, um, like safe sex conversations tend to be a little alarming. Mm. Um, uh, like students who are getting ready to use condoms for the first time and don't understand like how they work or know how to ask, like know how to negotiate for them. So yeah. they like, don't, they don't know how to, how to ask a partner to use them or they don't know like when they should, they don't understand like their risk, you know, or, um, so that's one that kind of gets me. Um, and then another one that I sort of have a hard time with is, uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought. I apologize. (laughs) (laughs) I really hate when that happens. (laughs) I know. Um, no. So, uh, oh, STD testing is another one that I'm, uh, kids, I say kids, they're not kids, they're college age. I just feel like they're my babies. Uh, they don't know, um, a lot of adults don't know about, uh, STDs as far as like or STIs as far as like, um, what their doctors are testing them for. Mm-hmm. Like, like the fact that not all doctors, in fact, many doctors don't test you for everything unless you ask for it. Right. And, and like, who would know to ask for that besides like someone like us? Yeah, exactly. Like, unless you've gone out of your way to be taught that information. And even then I was doing sex education for a while before I really understood all those nuances. So like the average person is screwed. Like nobody ever told me, oh, your doctor's not going to test you for everything unless you ask for it. And then when you do ask for it, you need to be prepared to get slut-shamed because they're going to want to know why you want all these tests. Like, there's not, we don't promote, like, there's not sex positivity around preventive care and, like, taking just just self-care with, like, risk awareness. We go, like, oh, you want all these STI tests. Well, what are you doing and who are you doing it with? Like, it's just, it's gross. And so I, I'm sorry for our listeners out there, like, I'm sorry that this might be your common experience. I mean, there's, you know, I can only really speak to the places in my area. But for example, if you live in LA, the um, Los Angeles, like gay and lesbian center does free testing. Um, and they have a really thorough thing that asks about your behaviors. And they, off, you know, I would say most people there don't make any assumptions, but I have, yes. for example, I had a friend who, um, went to get something like checked out on their genitals. Um, and they assumed that this man was straight. Um, so mm. when they were testing for things, um, they didn't do like an anal swab or an oral swab or something that you might need if you, um, you know, depending on who your partners are and sexual activity, yeah. it was all just assumed that they were in like a monogamous relationship with a woman. Yes, exactly. Well, I, you know, it's so funny. I am. Um, so I, last week, two weeks ago, I was at the health department all week doing a certification class to do HIV testing. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I was watching some of the, like one of the brands, that the that we get the supplies from for like testing supplies they have like this training video that they want everybody who goes to this training to watch and the health department here uses it as like a how not to treat people video because it's oh my so gosh. bad yeah but like but like one of the scenarios is like what you're talking about there's a guy who comes in and um the doctor recommends HIV testing is asking him these questions but is like but at first the doctor's like facing him and very jolly and like assumes that the guy is only having sex with like, like having like heterosexual sex with like, you know, sex with women. And the guy's like, Oh no, I have a few partners and like some of them are male. And the doctor like gets really shady and like moves and like, like kind of backs out of the room and sends a nurse in instead. And like, this is the training video. Like you watch the doctor, like shame this guy. Wow. And this is the, yeah. This is the, like this was, was like a learning video yeah. for a place. Yeah. This was like a, like, like it was given to us as, um, it was given to our health department as like, this is how we think you should do it. Oh my it. God. Those are all and, so fucking cheesy. They're like these awful, like saved by the bell sex education videos and super outdated. Really, yeah. yeah there it, it was terrible, but uh, yeah. And so the health department was like, yeah, we'll use your video and training so we can show people how not to treat their patients. <laughs> like, don't do this to people. <laughs> well, if you're out there listening, and I don't know if you have seen this stuff, I posted about it, but I just um, started launching this uh, this company that's already around the, the country. It's called the Sexual Health Alliance. Um, and they're really great because they provide continuing education and 
uh, seminars and workshops for folks who should know about sex but don't or don't have the resources. And sadly, that often includes therapists, doctors, OBGYNs, nurse practitioners. Like Some of them aren't taught how to even ask questions about sex, even though they're testing you for HIV or whatever it might be. Yeah, yeah. It's, I, I saw that you're doing that. It's awesome. Well, we'll have so. to bring you out to come and give a lecture. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm sold. Let's go. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> so I, I know you're educating, obviously, adults, too, and I've seen some of your amazing um, blog posts and things that you do. How did you get into all that? Uh, oh, I, so I, I kind of, so I started selling sex toys. Like that's how I was, I was, I got the, into at the it. Tupper, um, the Tupperware dildo parties. Tupperware, yeah. Yeah. The, the pleasure parties. Um, my daughter, we, my daughter is on the autism spectrum and right around the time she was getting diagnosed, I, I, I quit my job so I could be home to help her, but I needed something I could do like in the evenings. And so the sex toy parties were great because I could go do those after she went to bed and like be available for her all day. And so that's how it started. But when I was doing it, like I, I'm so the, the goal, those parties are really geared toward adult women specifically. And these women would like tell me their whole life story, like their whole sex lives. Cause like finally and someone they, would listen. Yeah. They like, Oh my God, I have permission to talk about this and nobody's treating me like a weirdo. And so they would like, and then they would ask me these really intimate questions because because they just assumed like, oh, I'm selling you this vibrator. I must know all there is to know about sex because I was the first person who talked about it in front of them without blushing. Mm-hmm. And I did. And I didn't like I had no idea when I first started. I, I like knew how the vibrators worked. That was all I knew. And so you were I like, I just know the rabbit. <laughs> yeah, I just know it's got like seven speeds and it won't make you sick. And it goes good with silicone loop. Like that was that was what I knew. <laughs> and so, so I really went out of my way to access the education opportunities that that company was offering. And then I went to the conference where um, it was a, it was like the yearly conference that that company had. And that's the conference where Logan Levkoff was one of the speakers. And so was Ian Kerner. Mm -hmm. And, and he's amazing too. Um, And I looked at my friend and I said, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to do what they're doing. And so I sort of vowed that I was going to like go back to school and I was going to do this differently and really plugged into the education component. And so I got out of sales and I started first self-educating and then um, went back and did grad school. And I actually like don't have my master's yet. I'm like everything but my thesis. I should be done this year. <laughs> but um, yeah, I went back, went to school and how did you balance? How did you balance all that with being a mom? Uh, I, I don't sleep. Like I have a really high dependency on Red Bull. Okay. Um, <laughs> so the, the healthy way. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's a great life tip. No, don't do that. If if it, don't, that's not a good choice. I'm kidding. Um, I have a lot of help. I am really fortunate that I have a partner. Um, my live-in partner is extremely helpful, extremely positive. My mom and dad are close by, and they really help out with the kids a lot. And um, I didn't go back to graduate school until my daughter started kindergarten, mm-hmm. so that I would have somewhere for the kids to be all day. So like, I got through all of the like early years with her therapy and stuff. So that helped too. Um, but it's just, I do a lot of late night studying and do a lot of like Skype calls for education and that kind of thing. So it, it works, but it's a lot of juggling. I don't know if you know much about this just in your own studies or maybe personal studies, but um, one of our other guests had started talking about this, um, but sexuality and autism. Yeah, I did some continuing ed credits uh, in sexuality and like developmental delay and developmental disability, um, in general, like, so autism is part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't like, I'm not sure like, uh, what, like what, the, what was your question about it? Oh, just um, uh, if you've learned any, anything for folks out there who either have kids or are on the spectrum themselves and like how, yeah, how to educate them about sex and sexuality. Cause I think, you know, I think people on the spectrum, depending on how highly functioning you are, whatever that means, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people put that into the category of people that are not sexualized. So they fall into a category of people who are, who are too quote unquote old or not able-bodied enough or don't fit the mold of sexy. And that falls into folks with developmental delays on the autism spectrum, but just because there's not maybe the physical, mental or emotional functioning doesn't mean that the desire for sex and intimacy goes away. Oh, exactly. So uh, I was approached... Two, two years ago, um, we have a, an on-campus transition group that is um, 
adult students who are uh, who have some sort of developmental or intellectual delay or disability. Um, so some of the folks are autistic and like some other things are going on um, and they're in the, they're on campus and they're taking college classes. And um, it came, it, it, they became aware, the program coordinators became aware that like there was a sex education need. And so I was in there working with the students and one of the things that was coming up was like none of their parents had ever talked to them about their bodies like at all. Like some of the the women were like on birth control and didn't know what they were taking. And oh, wow. um, the guys, their bodies were responding um, to sexual cues in their environment. And these, ki- you know, these kids are pairing up with each other because they're, they're very, you know, they're out at school on campus and they're like dating and flirting and all this stuff. And they, they were just really ill-equipped to handle the situation because no one had ever even talked to them about this stuff. And, um, and that was the thing is like parents, it's so tough for parents raising a child with um, any kind of special need, special like physical or educational needs where they're sort of accommodating all those other concerns or therapy or, you know, you just, it's hard enough raising kids anyway. And then, um, you know, kind of adding those other concerns Mm -hmm. and, and then add that to the fact that parents already do like a really bad job talking to their kids about sex because we don't, we don't have like a good handbook for doing that. And so it's, it's like so many parents go through this with their kids that are like on the spectrum or have some other like disability and they don't bring it up because it doesn't come up on its own. And, and then the kids hit adulthood. And the first thing to remember is like their bodies, wherever they're at developmentally aside, like their bodies are the age that their body is. Like if, if you've got a 25 year old, their body's 25, even if developmentally they're like, 15 or 16, so you know like what I mean? sexually like, speaking. Yeah, their bodies are They might be more like, advanced than you know. Yeah, and you're not giving them enough credit and you're not giving them, um, you're not giving them the information they need to move through their world safely. And so one of the things that comes up is like, we, like I had a student who said to me like, oh, I don't need to take your sex ed class. No one's ever going to want to have sex with me. Oh. And I said, like, who told you that? And she said, everyone she wow. said she said she said you know my mom my doctor like she said that everyone's told me that no one's ever gonna want, I don't need this that's really and she awful. was being sincere and and it was awful and I said you know I just asked her to, I said can you just hang in there with me anyway and you know you never know you know whatever like it wasn't I wasn't in a place to like stop and like be with her but I did get to talk to her parents what happens is okay so say you have a kid like that where that's how they were raised and somebody's told them like you just never do this and this is never going to come up for you or pe- treating people like, like it's not a thing for them. Yeah. You and start to fir- believe it. Oh, it's not just that the first time that anyone gives them any positive attention that way, they're going to jump on it. And they're, it makes them very vulnerable targets for predatory behavior. Mm. So you've got folks who are predators who know that this population is not, their needs are not being met and they prey on students who don't get attention or who are told they're not going to get attention. And the students are like, okay, yeah, like give me the attention. That feels great. I didn't think anybody would ever think of me that way. And so by, by infantilizing some of these special needs populations, we could be putting them in more danger. Oh, like there's research that shows that we are like, and I think people often, I mean, whether they're trying to or not, I think their intent, which doesn't really matter in this case, but their intent mm-hmm. is to to protect, and I think sometimes yes. protect themselves that they don't want to see their their child or can't imagine their child um, in that situation based on where they're at emotionally, physically, developmentally. But that's so dangerous. Exactly. Well, and 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 parents do like even with special needs populations, parents do the same things they do um, with like neurotypical kids, where they'll say, "Oh, like just don't do it." Like, just don't do that. We just don't behave that way. Like, whether it's masturbation or sex or dating yeah. or whatever. Or even dads joking around of like, oh, you're not going to date till you're 40. Yeah, yes, yeah, stuff like that. And then what happens is it does come up and it's like, I can't talk to my parents because they've told me I can't do this. So, like, I that was the other thing. I, like, came in and I did the sex ed class with them. And we, part of it was, like, we learned how to, we, we all got, like, the condom demo models and we learned how to, like, use a condom. And I sent them home with packets of like just resources and like a copy of the slides so they could look at them on their own mm-hmm. and like a little uh, baggie like with some condoms and lubricant samples. Mm-hmm. And I had so many students give them back to me because they were so worried that their parents 
would freak out. And these are like adult students. Like they're, you know what I mean? Like they're there on this college campus going to this program and they're terrified of how their parents will react. And so we ended up doing a follow-up class with the parents so that we could say, hey, like we all need to be on board so that we can just help your student be as healthy as possible. How did they respond? Grateful. Honestly, I really thought they were going to be upset that I like went in there and gave all their kids condoms, but that like, that was not what happened at all. They were all just really grateful and they all had a million questions. And a lot of the parents were like, no one ever taught me that either. So I don't know how to answer these questions. And so, um, it ended up being a really good time and a really good conversation. Um, and I would say if you're a parent and you don't know how to talk to your kid, wherever your child is at, whether your child is special needs or not, like it doesn't matter reach out to a sex therapist or a sex coach or a sex educator. Like us. <laughs> yeah, right? Like like shameless plug. But honestly, even if it's not us, find a human that can help you have these conversations. Um, I would, like, I know we always talk like, oh, go to your doctor. But even like your general practitioner. Doesn't may know. Not have got, yeah. yeah, they like they get like a very small amount of sex ed when they're going through medical school. And unless they go out of their way to get more of it, like they don't know more than you do unless you come in with a condition they have to diagnose. Like if you're just talking about healthy sexuality or like accessing pleasure in a safe way, like doctors are they're they're coming to us too, going like, how do I do this? So <laughs> I mean, it's great that they responded so well in that setting, but I feel like we are in a field where there are lots of folks who do want to come after us after like, you know, fiery <laughs> with fiery pitchforks. Uh-huh. Um, so have you ever, have you ever experienced that? I mean, I know not all of Florida is as open, um, as maybe certain areas. And I mean, same with, you know, where I'm from too, I, I'm lucky to live in sort of a bubble in LA, but there's still, you know, more conservative folks everywhere. Um, have you ever experienced stigma against your job or your personal life or what you do? Yeah. Uh, oh yes. So my, probably the most ready, like every day, all the time, I, I could joke a lot that I'm not hireable, uh, but I, it's like a, and why not? Most, Cause it's like mostly hair. a joke because no, it's not my hair. It's because I have like videos on, like I have pictures on the internet of me with a vulva puppet. I'm very open about being a sex educator and not just a sex educator, but a pleasure-based sex educator. So I'm not just talking about like public health outcomes. I'm also in letting people know that sex feels good. And that's like very taboo. <laughs> pleasure. Yeah. Um, I mean, as we're talking about education, right? that's something that often gets left out, right? Is pleasure. Yeah. Like what if it feels good? Uh-oh. But no. So like, uh, but um, when we were doing sex week last year, it was the first year that UNF had ever done a sex week. And well, you UNF- keep talking about sex week. What is sex week? Cause to ah. me, sex week sounds like a vacation where I'm like having sex with everybody. What is <laughs> sex week? Great. Yeah. It sounds uh, great. So uh, sex week is a thing that happens on some college campuses where it's um, a week of activities and programming that is dedicated to sex education and uh, like sex positive uh, event. Um, and, not as uh, exciting as what it's, I thought it was, not, but still, yeah, still not, a good idea. Not the, not the hedonistic orgy, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> there, are, there are other places for that at like Desire Resort yeah. if you want sex week. Sign me up. Yeah. So, <laughs> so um. UNF is in Jacksonville and we are in the South and we're very much in the Bible Belt. Mm-hmm. And so I I pitched it to my boss. Like, I really want to do a sex week here. And they were like, okay, great. And so we were planning it and we sent the whole program up to the administration and said, these are all the classes we want to do. And um, like everything was fine. And then this conservative blog out of like Virginia, they like, I don't know if they have like a Google alert on for when a college does sex week, yeah, but probably this- this blog is called Campus Reform, and it only ever goes after, like, it It, it really targets uh, colleges who do sex education programming like this. And so they said, like, oh, UNF is doing this sex week. It's gross, whatever. And the, the three, like, things that came up were we were having a talk um, about non-monogamy. We were having another talk about kink. And then we were, I was doing a pleasure-based sex education talk that also featured, like, sex toys. And they, like, they freaked out. They were like, you're teaching our kids like sanctioned cheating and BDSM is abuse and sex toys are bad, like all this stuff. And they freaked out. Of course. And so the administration like wanted us to shut it down. And they were like, you can't like, like basically they said, oh, well, this is not in line with our programming for sex week. So we're going to take those off. And I was like, no, like you guys can't take those away. And they said, well, you, the recent, 
the LGBT center, like you can't put UNF's name on those. And so they tried to say like, oh, you can't do them. And the student groups sort of rose up and said, but we really wanted this programming. That's why, like, I went to the students and said, what do you want to see? And that was why we picked those classes. Mm -hmm. And so um, we ended up just putting it into the student group's name, like under their name and hosting it that way. Um, So we ended up having like, like regular sex week. And then we had this like kind of underground sex week where we hosted the stuff that like UNF wouldn't put their name on. Um, but it was a, it was a real disaster. Like it was a real PR nightmare. And I kind of, because I was the one sort of planning everything, I ended up like, uh, really in a lot of hot water with the administration and all because we were having really honest conversations about, uh, like pleasure and sexuality that didn't conform to like a status quo. Why do you think people are so afraid of pleasure? I don't, I don't know. It's like, we're supposed to, it's like, we're supposed to apologize anytime sex feels good, especially, especially women. Like this comes up, um, around the, uh, uh, birth control debate a lot. So like when people talk about like why they need birth control, like very rarely do you hear somebody say, I need access to birth control because I want to have sex and not get pregnant. What you hear instead is people saying like, I need access to birth control to control my hormones or I need access to birth control because it helps my, my acne. acne. Yeah. Yeah. And so people will tell you like all the PSAs about why insurance companies should offer birth control are all about all of the like other tertiary reasons that people take it. But like an honest, like how often do you ever see like a really honest, like public service announcement about taking birth control so you can have sex without getting pregnant? Like I just want it pleasurable because, sex. Yeah, because what's the because the subtext of that is I'm having sex for the entire purpose of that it feels good to have sex. Mm-hmm. Like our values in America are very puritanical, and so the roots of that puritanism is that sex is is to, is to procreate. To procreate, like it's it's in the bounds of like a man and a woman married, blessed by God, do it to procreate in one position. That's it, and that's the only time you do it. And so anything that starts to come out of those bounds at all uh, starts to really get complicated. I mean, even married sex, if it's a married, married sex is uh, more socially acceptable than out than casual sex or non-married sex or um, whatever in our, in our society. But even within married sex, like if I, I get a lot of couples who are interested in things that aren't like missionary sex or aren't like mm-hmm. kind of your, like what you would think of as like, uh, you know, what, what we hear about a lot. So they might be interested in something they think is kinky and maybe all it is, is like blindfolds and a spanking, but like to them, it feels really edgy and it feels edgy because we don't acknowledge the parts of sex that feel good. We only ever talk about the parts that can give you an STD or get you pregnant. We don't, the rest of it never comes up. So can, I don't want to spoil all of your maybe future talks and us hiring you for an event, (laughs) but like when you talk about pleasure with people, like, can you give me, give us a little like sneak preview of like how you would talk about pleasure with folks that you educate? Oh, I, I think it's, um, a sneak preview. It would, I, I think I just try to frame everything with the assumption that that's why people are having sex. Mm-hmm. So like taking the assumption that people are having sex to get pregnant out of it. And so instead of just talking about it, uh, talking about sex in very vague terms, it'll be a class on anal sex and how to have anal sex that feels good and how to tell your partner you really like anal sex and how to, what parts on my body do I need to touch and what toys can I use to make that feel good? And how can I do that safely? Yes, absolutely. How can I reduce risk? Absolutely. But what's the point of risk reduction? So I don't have the anxiety of the risk hanging over my head and I can enjoy the pleasure even more. Um, it's very orgasm based and it's very intimacy based and it's very like sensory based. So having, I have a, I have a video that um, is like probably my mom's least favorite video, uh, <laughs> but it's uh it's a blowjob video and it just talks about like, it's, it's not, like it's minute. not grapefruit girl. Is it what you don't know who grapefruit girl is? Oh yeah, yeah, I do know grapefruit. She's, yeah, I think no, she's actually I, teaching classes now, like fruit and fellatio. And if oh, you don't know so, grapefruit girl, like YouTube that. Google her. Yeah, it's yeah. amazing. No, so this is just uh, like a three-minute video that I did um, for Swing Towns, and and uh, for listeners like, out there, what is Swing Towns? 
Uh, Swingtowns is uh, swingtowns.com is like a dating site for swingers and kinky people and non-monogamous folk. And um, you and do they, like their little like video sex ed bits, right? Yeah, yeah, they do. We do this thing called Swingtowns Quickies. <laughs> Love it. Right. And it's these little videos. It'll be a three or four minute video and then they'll break them up into smaller chunks and release them like a minute at a time. And um, so like and these are all this is pleasure based sex ed. So it's like, hey, let's talk about how to give a gold star blowjob. But guess what I'm weaving in there? I'm weaving in how to have conversations about using condoms and I'm weaving in um, how to uh, talk about consent and negotiate consent. And so so we're having conversations about risk awareness and about safety and about bodily autonomy. But we're framing it in a conversation of, I want to really be able to wow my partner with my oral sex skills, or I really want to be able to receive like dazzling, amazing oral sex. How do I go about that? And oh, I'm accidentally learning how to be like safe while I do it. <laughs> so I like all the adjectives or adverbs as like golden star and dazzling. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's fun and it yes. should be fun, right? It should be fun. We should be enjoying this. <laughs> So what are some some folks who like haven't thought about pleasure as a part of it? Do you have any tips for how to make sure you're including conversations of pleasure with yourself and your partners? Uh, I, I would say start with yourself. Yeah, like that. Yes. That's it. Um, you know, spend some time alone. Like, like make a date night with yourself. Like do the thing. Light the candles or whatever <laughs> it is. Do the thing. <laughs> yeah, like. Put on, put on that favorite record and light the candles and get your sexy undies out and change the sheets on your bed. And, you know, if you shave your legs or whatever, like do the things you would do before a really hot date, but do them for you. Mm -hmm. And then have that date with yourself. Maybe get out a mirror and like watch yourself pleasuring yourself. Take orgasm off the table for a while and just explore the way it feels to touch your body and how that touch feels and just close your, like add a blind, maybe take the mirror away and put a blindfold on instead so that you're really focused on where your hands are on your body and how that pleasure feels. But I say like my biggest thing for people is love, like learn to really feel your body and be present in your body and then take that experience into your relationships. Your partner cannot guess what you want. They, they do not have like a magic eight ball that will tell them where all your pleasure spots are. You're going to have to be able to figure out a way to communicate what feels good to you. And first and figure, you've figure it out with yourself. Yeah, you have never taken time to learn it. You and your partner are never going to figure it out. So take the time and learn it. You deserve that like alone time with yourself. I know you're making me want to like organize better dates with myself. I feel like my dates <laughs> are like not living up to this. Like, <laughs> like I want this romantic evening with myself. It sounds really nice. You deserve it. I do. You, you know do what? It. I do deserve it. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, please do. And Let for, me know how it goes. For folks out there listening, I often give clients and um, like I know you said, maybe bring in a mirror um, and to combine it with the thing you said at the beginning about feeling normal. If you've never looked at your genitals like up close and personal, mm -hmm. be prepared to think that something is wrong. Yes. <laughs> you know, like if you've never looked at it and you're not familiar with all the folds and creases and whatever is happening, like chances are, I mean, obviously if you're really having a worry, like go to the doctor. Um, yes. But, you know, usually when people look at it for the first time, they're like, no, I'm convinced like something is wrong. And usually right. everything is fine. It's just like... It's like looking at an alien, like, because if you've yeah. never been acquainted with it, you're like, what is all of that? Like, are oh there God, supposed to be that many flaps? Like, what's happening? Yeah, <laughs> there's stretch marks in places I didn't expect them. And there's like, 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 what is that skin doing there? And yeah. it's definitely, <laughs> it's a weird experience, but it also like, it's really cool. It's, it's really neat. And, you know, another thing you can do, um, especially, and this is something, um, uh, folks with, uh, vaginas and vulvas, folks with vulvas vaginas don't get the experience of like getting quite as intimate with their genitals as folks with penises do because their genitals are more like inward mm -hmm. and like harder to get at. Yeah. Um, next time you're at the gynecologist, tell, ask the gynecologist to show you and get a mirror. And like when they've kind of got your, like everything open, they can show you your cervix and they can show you everything, like what they see. And it's like a really neat experience to kind of go like, oh, that's like what my body looks like. Oh my goodness. You know, that's so. a great idea. You know, I never thought to do that. Yeah. it's. I've really, never I, seen my cervix and now I like need to know what it looks <gasps> like. 
Yeah. I mean, I've seen it on like a picture, but like not, I want to like see it. Physically see it. Like it's, it's very, it's a very neat, cool, a little like out of (laughs) body. So neat. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's neat. (laughs) That's amazing. Well, we do have to wrap up, but I... I'm so excited um, that you came here. And for our listeners, I'm sorry Simone wasn't there, um, but we feel lucky to have had you. And I mean, like you said, we deserve it. We are enough. Um, But we (laughs) missed you, Simone. Um, But thank you, Angel, for joining us. Um, If people want to follow your work, hire you, watch your videos, um, how can they get in touch? Uh, I think the easiest, best place to start is just to go to professorsex.com. And uh, right at the top of the website there is a bar that has all the social media links. So YouTube, Twitter, Insta, Facebook, they're all right at the top. And then my blog is there and the, my consultation stuff is there. So kind of it's, it's one-stop shopping. Just professorsex.com has all the info and there's like a contact link. I am incredibly easy to interact with and accessible. So if people want to reach out and just chat with me, like hit the contact button, use it, find me on social media, send me a message. I love hearing from people. So. Well, I love that. And I do have to ask because I is like a selfish question, but do you get a lot of um, creeps and weirdos, like not in a good way, weirdos trying to hit you up because Professor Sex? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's um, I really thought not spelling it with three X's would help, but it, <laughs> it was, <laughs> but not really. <laughs> no, I, well, it was supposed to be a play on Professor X, like Marvel. Oh, like my, lo- my logo's kind of like a little X-Men logo because like the X-Men are like weird, but awesome. And that's how I sort of identify as being like sexually weird, but awesome. And so I, I was like, oh, I yeah, think we're you totally men. are. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, it was supposed to be a play on that. But yeah, I do get a lot of weirdos. But I think, don't you too? Like, isn't, oh, like, yeah. Therapy and no, that's why I was asking. I mean, I think, um, sadly, I mean, I don't want to stereotype. So if you are a male-bodied person who, ha- who has had these experiences, I'd love to hear from you. But for the most part, it's my female um female colleagues um in this field that get more of the like you know masturbation callers and like um you know dick pics and stuff like that not just dick pics i'll have people who send me like pictures of them and their partner doing stuff together like i really i never get partnered shots i'm kind of jealous (laughs) and i love that people feel open but i would love it if they just got my consent first before like just if you're gonna if you feel that if you feel really like compelled to send me photos just check in with me before you do, um, <laughs> because I would like to consent to look at your parts before you just show them to me. So. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you so, so much for joining us. And for our listeners, thank you for joining us for another week of Sluts and Scholars. Uh, don't forget to subscribe. You can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Um, and obviously, you can hit us up and see what we're doing on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars and on Twitter at Sluts Scholars. Um, and feel free to email us at slutsandscholars at Gmail. If you have any questions, want to be on the show, want to ask something and need some references, um, please hit us up. And and definitely reach out to Professor Sex for all of your sex education needs. Thank you so much, and we'll talk to you next time. Scholar.